when I was a kid, probably seven or eight, my dad told me that in the early church, the choice to get baptized, to call yourself a Christian, was a choice you only made when you were ready to be thrown to the lions. And that was the absolute right thing to tell me. It hooked me on the life of faith for good. It made following Jesus seem like an adventure, an invitation to be part of this epic battle between good and evil and to give everything I had on the side of good. It gave my life a sense of all-consuming purpose, and I was sold on it. I was going to follow Jesus, the revolutionary, even, or maybe especially if it killed me. By 22, when I first felt a sense of call to ministry, my understanding of the life of faith hadn't changed that much. In a journal from that year, I drew it as me being offered the choice to walk off the edge of a cliff. And I was just waiting to be shown which cliff. I was sure that I'd be asked to make some grand gesture to prove my faith at any moment. I just needed to be ready. And now it's 18 years later and 12 plus years into my career as a minister and I still haven't found the cliff. Or if I did, I failed to walk off of it. My faith journey has looked pretty undramatic, mundane even. This week I spent 15 hours in meetings of one sort or another. And most of one morning rooting around through our file cabinets looking for documents so that we can renew our tax exempt status. I did not come across any lions in the process. And one way to understand that is that I've sold out. I mean, I'm sure that's how the 13 year old Vince would see it. Moodily listening to Nirvana on his Walkman wearing his grandfather's gray cardigan to the coffee shop to drink his first cappuccino, he would say, I've given up. I've failed to take part in the revolution of love. I'm settled for something easier and less faithful. Sometimes I feel that same way. Sometimes it's probably right. But my image of the life of faith has also changed what it means to follow Jesus, and what it takes to be really hardcore. Like Daniel. This week, as I reread this story that I really haven't touched in years, I was surprised to find out it's not really about lions, at least not that much. It's way more about prayer and not even like some dramatic miracle inducing lion pacifying kind of prayer. It's more about mundane, routine, before meals and at bedtime kind of prayer. That's what is at the center of this story. Daniel going to his upper room where there are windows looking out on the street and pausing three times a day to pray to his God. And yes, a law gets passed against it, but even the drama that's in the children's Bible version that we read today isn't 
actually there in the original. The story doesn't have this like gut-wrenching moment of decision when Daniel chooses to defy the law. There is no I am Spartacus scene. The grown-up version just says Daniel knew the law had been signed, but he kept praying as he had previously done. And yes, it does lead him to the lion's den and to this miracle of safekeeping and to the conversion of the king and the repeal of this unjust law. Daniel does start a kind of revolution, but not by making some grand gesture, just by keeping to his usual schedule. Which, to be fair to my dad and every Sunday school teacher ever, is not the kind of thing that's going to capture a kid's attention. It's not really the kind of thing that captures my attention now. The grand gesture is always more interesting than the daily routine. Last week, Nola brought home a worksheet about forming positive habits to achieve personal goals for the new year. That makes it sound more complicated than it was. It's, it's first grade. But it, it had a girl whose goal was supposedly to be nicer to her little brother for the year. And to achieve it, she was going to work with him every night on his homework. Another kid wanted to keep his room cleaner. It was a real kind of propaganda piece, but Nola wasn't buying that part of it. Her stated goals for 2022 were to do a backflip in the air, and to play electric guitar with her teeth like Jimi Hendrix. And when I asked her what habits she would use to form to achieve these goals, she stated that she would do backflips in the air and play electric guitar with her teeth every day. She was less enthusiastic when I suggested she might start with somersaults and a ukulele. I know how she feels. I, I want to do the big dramatic thing. And I want to do it right now. I want to skip straight to the Hendrix. I've often considered myself ready to be thrown to the lions, but I still find it difficult to establish that regular prayer schedule. It's the grand gestures that capture my attention, but it's the small habits that make them possible showing up day after day, three times a day to do When I was a kid, they would talk to us about Rosa Parks every year around Martin Luther King Day. And the way they told us the story, it always sounded like Daniel's dramatic choice to be thrown to the lions. Like it, it always got told to us as one evening, this, this brave old woman gets on the bus after a long day at work and this white man comes to take her seat. And in that moment, she decides she has finally had enough. But of course, over the years, we've learned that the truth is very different. First, the truth was that that old woman was 42. And the truth was that for over a decade before she was arrested, she had been the secretary of the local chapter of the NAACP. The truth was she went to Tennessee for an activist training right before the boycott. 
The truth was the boycott didn't start because of a spontaneous one-time decision by one tired woman, but because of the faithful, habitual working of an entire community for justice. The truth was long hours of meetings, making agendas, taking minutes, rooting through file cabinets. The truth is that following Jesus often involves a lifetime of mundane faithfulness and maybe one night in the lion's den, if that. And to a seven or a 13 or a 22 year old, maybe that sounds like the easy way out. But to me, it sounds so much harder to keep at it day after day, somersault after somersault, to learn the ukulele when you wanna play the electric guitar, to show up for a meeting when what you wanted to do was change the world, that's hard. There's a saying popular in intentional communities, everyone wants a revolution, no one wants to do the dishes. The life of faith, the revolution of love is not a single grand gesture, but many tiny ones that slowly form a habit. It's choosing love in each moment, in every moment, until you hardly know how to do otherwise. Choosing love over impatience when my child is misbehaving. Choosing love over defensiveness when I'm called out on my privilege. Choosing love over apathy when I read the news. Choosing love over winning an argument when I get six emails in three days from some guy I don't know who doesn't like my writing, for example. Choosing love over workaholism when I'm tempted to check if he sent another email while I should be hanging out with my family. Choosing love over numbing when I'm struck with grief over what we've lost in these last two years. Choosing love over judgment when someone does something I disagree with. Choosing love over and over again in every mundane moment. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to ignite the revolution of love. At least I think it is, I hope it is. I'm still trying to form the habit. And it's difficult. It's all consuming. It's a goal that asks me to give everything I have in pursuit of it. An invitation to be part of an epic struggle between good and evil, a thrilling and terrifying adventure, or at least like a worthy way to spend your time. Not a grand gesture, but a million tiny ones walking off the edge of a cliff, step by step, being thrown to the lion's bite by bite. <laughs>